of the Going Rogue Gaming Podcast, the Grog Pod. <laughs> Welcome back to the Grog Pod. Uh, this uh, this episode, we're covering a, a titan of video games. Uh, we're covering two of them, actually, uh, but we'll get into it, but they're kind of the same game. Uh, the, it's the, Bising, the Binding of Isaac episode. Uh, probably the spooktacularist episode. I'd probably say from the ones that we're planning and covering, it's very thematic that we're covering this towards the end of October. Uh, Halloween's right around the corner, and uh, yeah, we got a we got a spook fest for you here with lots of ghouls and uh, <laughs> poop and demonic imagery enough to uh, <laughs> to really fill the uh, the Halloween sack there. Uh, so so yeah, let's they definitely jump. chose uh, trick over treat. <laughs> But there's lots of treats in here as well, too. I think. Uh, but uh, but yeah, let's start with uh, with talking about the the 2011 uh, release, uh, The Binding of Isaac. Uh, if you have never heard of this game before, and you're one of maybe ten people who have never played it, uh, this is a. And I, I think like the design of this game is also a, a great counterpoint to the one that we just talked about with uh, with Dungeons of Dreadmore, because this is a very much uh, action oriented game uh dreadmore very turn-based this a lot more uh everything happening all at once uh it's a twin stick shooter it's uh if you've ever played a twin stick shooter before where you're moving around your character with one stick and shooting in directions with another stick uh mm. but it's like if you took that and dropped it into the legend of zelda and also slapped on uh you know an aesthetic of demonic imagery on top of there so kind of kind of a lot going on <laughs> Uh, this game uh, in 2011 was released on PC, Mac, and Linux. Uh, this was a game that was based entirely on the Adobe Flash engine. So at the time, it was a little, a little limited. But this was this was one of those games that really kind of like blew up the uh, the indie scene at the time. Uh, lots of Flash games were were in abundance there, and this this is kind of a titan of that time. Uh, this is the the 17th highest rated rogue on steam uh with fifty thousand reviews uh this tops out in, in the 99th percentile uh and this was made by by uh two mega devs of the of the indie game pantheon uh, we have florian himsel who's an australian or oh, oh my god uh he, he is an austrian game programmer i'm sure he never gets that confused uh with doing a lot of programming contributions to the um the predecessor to this game somewhat uh, super meat boy and also working on other games like coil and ball frog um and the uh the kind of brainchild behind this game edmund mcmillan uh who is there's i think we could probably have like a whole series of podcasts just dedicated to uh, to this fellow but uh he got his start with uh with indie comics and zines back in the day 
uh, before jumping into uh, flash game development. Um, have, do you guys have much uh, much experience playing with flash games in the past? I mean, we're all children at some point, I think, and uh, that was what the internet had, I think, around the MySpace era was if you wanted to play some kind of game, it's going to be, oh, uh, what's the Australian Splunking game? The, uh, I don't know, there was all, yeah, you're <laughs> raising your, your eyebrows questionably. Yeah, <laughs> there, there, there are a ton of them out there, and I think we all had our fill at some point in uh, around the, the mid-2000s and prior. I feel like none of them... I, I know for sure that I played Flash games as a child, but I feel like none of them were actually good enough to quite rise to the level of like, oh, yeah. I was, was, RuneScape, was RuneScape a Flash game? I don't think it was. Or I don't really know what uh, powered that. Maybe it had its own thing, but... I feel like RuneScape was probably popular enough in like the pre-Flash era where to actually use mm, like a real game engine. That sounds about right. Okay. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Flash, not Flash. I, I have no recollection of any good Flash games then. But you probably like we all. I guarantee we all spend a lot of time on like Newgrounds and stuff at least. Yeah, Newground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember some shitty tank games and like some shitty like yeah. There's yeah, a I bunch feel like of, a, there a were a lot of games. Of games. There were a lot of games that were like one day games. Yeah, you know, you play in, and you get your fill in one sitting. Mm -hmm. Um, which I mean, I never actually played the original uh, Binding of Isaac, so I don't know how much dissimilar or similar that is. I I, I know that the Rebirth has significantly more content, which I'm sure you're going to go into, but uh, yeah, it's got it's it definitely seems like it's um of a different level of replayability and uh, whatnot going on with it. Almost kind of like a like a different like when you when you boot up a flash game, it feels like a different era of history almost that you're you're interacting with. Like it just. It has like it's it's almost impossible to describe in an audit, auditory medium, but like the way that it moves, the kind of like just maybe clunkiness of it, you can you can really feel the engine. Well, in and a lot, lot of them you can't save, so yeah, that's true. you can't it, it, the the nature of them in some ways lends itself well to something like Binding of Isaac, where you are playing runs through, but if you're trying to build a different kind of game, you are limited to what you can do in one sitting so mm. if you do well great if you want to come back to it the next day um it's not like today where the cookies in your browser save your progress for random things uh you just yeah, started over the next day i'm gonna have to disagree with you pretty strongly here though about that colin because uh the the binding of isaac like it's so narrative and like save base. Like if you didn't have the fact that it saved your progress as you go through the narrative, and I don't know how much of the game you played, but that well, I'm was. I'm assuming that that's something that came into effect more in Rebirth and less oh, maybe in that's the, the original Flash game. Um, I, I can imagine you having a similar version of this game, the Flash version, the early version, where you don't, you get better at it by like memorizing the items and combinations and stuff like that. Yeah, so uh, so real quick, just uh, finishing up stuff on on Edmund here, our, our lead dev, uh, flash game background. But I think he was more kind of like on the designer end of the spectrum. I don't think he was really like that heavily involved in like programming a lot of this stuff. But he did reach out to programmers to really help kind of bootstrap his uh, his game designs. Um, he was featured in uh, indie game the movie, which was a <laughs> a, a popular uh, Kickstarter. 
that was in, in the early your days of Kickstarter. Uh, and he uh, and he with uh, with Florian helped uh, to develop a Super Meat Boy. Have have either of you uh, broken a controller over Super Meat Boy like I have? I mean, I touched the game because I saw you playing it one day. I'm like, oh, what's this? And I said, <laughs> nope, this is not my kind of game. Yeah, uh, I played it and it was hard. And I was not, I am not good enough at video games to play it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Twitch reaction, sort of like 2D, like not side scroll. It's just, a, it's 2D. Like that's just generally not my kind of game with some notable exceptions. Yeah. Uh, so so Edmund, you know, launched uh, Super Meat Boy to, to massive critical acclaim at the time, and that really helped to set him up for success for for Binding of Isaac here. Uh, all the the accolades and uh, revenue that he generated out from Super Meat Boy helped to really kind of give him a that kind of risky foundation to kind of pivot off for for Isaac. Uh, and I think when he was, uh, we'll get into it in a minute here, but like, he, I don't think he was expecting Isaac to be the, as big of a success as it was. So he kind of went in with sort of low expectations, but, um, but, uh, but yeah, so we, we've said the, the phrase binding of Isaac a lot so far. Uh, Will, as our, as our resident Bible expert, can you give us a quick rundown of what uh, the, the, the biblical it's, account of the binding of Isaac the story is. of Isaac yeah and so in the Bible in the actual Bible there is this character Abraham and Abraham has a son Isaac and the story goes that um, basically God wants him to prove that um, he fears him that he loves him that all that crap all at once and so he has him bind his son to a um, essentially a uh, uh a platform for sacrifice and uh and just as and then commands him to kill his son to prove all this crap and so and just as he's about to plunge the dagger into his son's chest isaac's chest uh an angel appeared before him and he and the angel says um you've just proven yourself you don't actually have to kill him and Good so job. That, you got the loyalty achievement right and so that's and that's and that's why is isaac here is and, and the binding of isaac um in theory though well, I'll let you go ahead and talk more about the narrative, but um, there is a major difference between the biblical interpretation <laughs> and what we see in the story here. That's right. And yeah, I think like there's there's a lot of interesting twists that I think the the developer, Ed McMillan, put on here to kind of mimic his um, his own upbringing, maybe not to to a super deep extent, but uh, enough of a, of a spin on it to really kind of give it its own unique flavor. So um this game, Binding of Isaac, 2011, uh, was the result of a week-long game jam between Macmillan and uh, Florian uh, to develop this kind of Legend of Zelda-like, roguelike uh, game uh, where Macmillan wanted to showcase uh, his feelings about both the positive and negative aspects of religion that he had to come to discover uh, from conflicts between his Catholic and uh, born-again Christian family members while growing up. Uh, McMillan had considered the title a risk, um, but once he could take the financial success of Super Meat Boy, he released it without much fanfare to Steam in 2011 without expecting a whole lot of sales. Um, but he was noticing that the game kept like gaining popularity every month and like sales kept like compounding and compounding. And I think this was largely dri- driven by um, Let's Play YouTube videos at the time. This was you know, 2011, YouTube was a completely different era back then. And, you know, Let's Play videos were only just kind of coming on the scene. And this was like a major driver for people's interest in the game. Like, oh my God, look at this thing. And people being able to to see other people's very different experiences to what they had ex- played. Being like, oh, I want to see how to, how to unlock this weird thing. Um, 
They released an expansion titled Wrath, Wrath of the Lamb uh, in May 2012. Um, but uh, but we're limited uh, from releasing future expansions because I think they just maxed out the Flash engine at that point. Uh, they started uh, to work with Nintendo in 2012 to, to uh, release a 3DS version, but Nintendo kind of backed out of the deal, citing controversy of the game's religious themes. Um, and then he would, you know, later to pitch, pitch, get the game on Steam. But um, yeah, can, uh, can you imagine this game being controversial when it first launched? Yeah, no, no, you're, saying, uh, you're saying the uh, <laughs> thought the title would be controversial. I feel like it's not the title, it's the rest of it. Yeah. Well, yeah, the, the game itself being a controversial take uh but um but yeah you can kind of tell from from gameplay of this that it was pretty well influenced by um spelunky the uh the original spelunky version we'll get to the uh the uh, remastered one later but the the original spelunky version was released i think in 2008 uh influences from diablo in here uh i don't know i don't know if either of you have played the uh the smash um super nintendo game smash tv at all very kind of like have. room based uh you're a character running around and you're you know shooting stuff in a twin stick shooter kind of kind of format um but uh but mcmillan had some some interesting stuff about this game where uh yeah like we said with binding of isaac uh abraham sacrificing his son the twist here is that it's um isaac's mother who is uh, is watching christian broadcasting uh tv that commands her to uh to kill isaac uh and well she claims it's a voice of god like in 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 the actual narrative which i know just because i have listened to it just just recently so it is from her point of view god commanding her to kill her son but first depriving him of clothes of toys and then finally his life (laughs) it is weird like how you i i mean i've heard the story of isaac growing up but uh hearing it in a modern context definitely feels much worse it's like oh it it felt you know like the game itself is very cartoonish but just Mm -hmm. the the intro is um it's like cartoonish but dark you're like yeah okay this is talking about like this child being abused and they all of this stuff is is cartoonish you're shooting tears out of his eyes as the bullets but like it's it's dark when you stop and actually think about like the shit that's happening to him. And that's one of its best uh, treats. If we go on the trick and treat um, scale, uh, uh, the treat, the one of the biggest treats is like the, the 2D like animations of like the characters, the um, the narrative or like the actual narrator talking over it. Like that to me was what set this game apart from pretty much everything else in the entire genre was this dedication to not only just the narrative and having a strong narrative, I mean, Biblical Roots is great because then it has some kind of connection to reality, but then like everything within the game is derived from that core story, which I think is something that a lot of games miss, um, even some of my favorites. Yeah, there's there's interesting kind of like, um, I think at the time, I could see this being very controversial with its themes of like, you know, demonic symbolism with uh you're a a naked five-year-old running around dungeons and there's poop everywhere and you're like there's like blood and guts and lots of like enough viscera to almost make like a mortal Kombat game blush in a in a couple senses but uh 
yeah like i could see how in 2011 and it feels quaint now like when you play it you're just like oh you're a little cartoon character like video games i feel have kind of like turned a corner of you know <laughs> violence and controversial topics that this just kind of just seems like yeah yeah this it's, it's fine you know it's it's not anything that would turn your hair white in 2022 at all yeah. but yeah at the time when games had to go through a bunch of flaming hula hoops to get listed on steam to get published with uh with nintendo and xbox and all that uh yeah you could definitely see that like nintendo being like hey could you maybe tone down like the um like Blasphemy. maybe murder down by like five percent <laughs> well and there's like some stuff where you I mean we've all played final fantasy like the classic jrpg religion is the enemy etc cetera, etc cetera. but it's rarely like so explicitly this specific christian story like demonic energy in diablo doesn't feel like it's an attack on christianity in any way like it's it's I guess you're 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 lifting like names from the Bible, but it's like you got little red imps running around. I mean, the start of this story is, uh, just a a story of the Bible. Yeah, it's so. just like yeah. Let's just take this this exact story and then like replicate it with instead of a father or mother, and yeah. uh yeah, and imply that it's bad. Or, or that is that just... is making the it, it, that the religion made the mother crazy, and right, that religion yeah. makes people crazy and have outlandish, ridiculous beliefs. But Which, religion course, also think. allows you to get a uh, a pentagram uh, carved into your forehead that allows you to to shoot laser tears. So, you know, you you have your pros and your cons there. I think, unless you're a a zazzle a zazzle or whatever his name is, then you just do it by default. But yeah. <laughs> uh yeah so um 2011 let's see so so we've kind of talked a lot about the game but like what do you what do you do in the game like so so your main goal here is we've kind of talked about the intro cinematic of uh isaac being deprived of all of his stuff and his christian mother coming coming to kill him and he escapes into the basement of the house and that's kind of where your where your journey begins uh there there are some um like not palette swaps but like kind of remixes of some of these uh these floors but uh but generally speaking you uh progress deeper through different levels of this uh underground labyrinth beneath your house uh to eventually you know go from the house basement a couple of levels down into uh the caves that are underneath there down into the depths uh encountering all sorts of weird and insane monsters along the way uh, and eventually to to fight mom at the end as the final boss. Um, hey, spoiler alert! Are we are we allowed <laughs> to talk about that kind of? Stuff? I mean, like, can we talk about the end game or the end end game? Because you just represented it. I will say, truthfully or not, depending on how we want to. Uh... Yeah, and and that's another thing. Yeah, so uh, I think if you've made it this far in the podcast, uh, spoilers spoilers abound, but. There's so much content in these games. I don't think you can realistically spoil any of it because there's just like so much, there's so much stuff in here that I don't know that really anybody would ever see it all unless this is the only game that you're planning on playing for the next five years. I, I like mean, in 60 hours, uh, I think, I mean, I, I got through every unlock and every ending. So I think uh, every ending. Yeah. Wow. Impressive. I think I I've I've only gotten maybe uh, 
through maybe 12 or 13 endings in 55 hours but even like just the well and okay so we'll, we'll come to i think, Rebirth I think that minute, but... spoilers are okay for games that are uh 10 years old yes that's also okay. true so like, if you wanted to have played this game by now you could have done so yeah i still want people to play it though as a thing it's like i don't want to yeah. give away something that prevents or you know but whatever so in Binding of Isaac, you're dropped into uh, rectangular kind of rooms filled with monsters, like zombies or or headless, uh, I guess, headless children that are spurting blood at you and uh, <laughs> spiders that uh, have bombs on them that will blow up and uh, crying mutated babies and uh, just also, like, if you can think of something weird and demented, it's probably in this game, just festering pustules with legs walking around spurting blood literal poop poop will yeah, charge you and like, it will fuck you up in some ways it's a child's imagination of yep. a demonic world like all the child's fears come to life uh, and, and, and that's really highlighted in the cutscenes too with like you know oftentimes it's like him having something you know happen to him whereas like He's he's on the the toilet or whether what, what was it? he he was on the toilet and like his mother came in or something or like um, there was no toilet paper that's what it was and then he had this shock and this horrid look like oh no there's no toilet paper and that's like right you see and that's the pain through. that he must bear as right. uh, as as his existence all of these kind of cartoonishy things or like being at school and someone you know pants him and everyone points and laughs <laughs> oh my god my life. <sighs> I can definitely understand the spider fear though, living or, or growing up and be, like playing around in the basement and seeing like a, a giant spider that at the time I was just like completely freaked out by be like, Oh my God, this is the scariest thing ever. Uh, and now like, now I routinely rescue spiders that are trapped in the, uh, in the shower as my good deed to the universe. So lots um, mistake. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so in this game, you progress through different uh, layers of, of dungeon-like levels, basement caves uh, to the depths. You defeat mom. Once you've defeat mom, uh, you can go to the womb, question mark, uh, where you can fight uh, the, the the next level boss, which I believe is, is a heart-pounding fetus of some sort. Uh, you beat that enough times uh, and you unlock Sheol, which I don't know if that's in the Bible. I don't think I've ever heard of Sheol before. Um but you know another kind of like dark demonic plane like existence, uh, where in this 2011 version your your ultimate goal, uh, should you choose to make it this far, uh, is to defeat Satan himself uh, by getting to this Sheol level and and you know fighting this um, uh, super Satan uh, uh, final boss. Uh, and then that's that's kind of that's kind of you know the uh, the end of the game there. But along the way you'll encounter. Uh, rooms full of monsters you'll find tr like treasure rooms that have all sorts of wacky power-ups we, we kind of talked uh, about a few of them where you know sometimes the the tears that your your character shoots out the bullet you know equivalent uh will change the lasers or they'll they'll be homing missiles or charm psychic enemy yeah psychic homing tears exactly um, there are uh, shops where you can go and, and buy things with coins that you find throughout the game. There are curse rooms that you know you can you can walk over a pit of spikes and you know sacrifice some of your health as a chance for a reward. Uh, there are there are combat challenge rooms that you know you can fight a whole bunch of monsters simultaneously for uh, for a chance at some better better loot. Um, and then yeah, there's uh, passive power ups that. Uh, I think in the Dreadmore episode, we were lamenting the fact that when you picked up stuff, it didn't change how your character looks. Your yeah, character is... gets messed up in this game. Yeah, I think that's one of the 
things about this game that I liked the most is how how well they implemented power-ups and items changing your appearance. Um, I think they did a really like it's it's a very vivid change for everything. And it's not just like put on a little piece of clothing, it's like your head changes or you've got horns growing out of your face or like weird growths and they were it did a good job of reflecting like what you were doing in your build or your your path through the through the dungeons yeah, versus like Dreadmore, which just looked like the same guy the whole time with giant eyebrows i would imagine that there's an item in here that does alter your eyebrow size but yeah you pick up something like like a can of dog food and that will give you more health but will also make your character larger as a as a result you can pick up uh i think um after some boss fights uh like demon doors will open up where you can offer offer some of your health and you'll get like demonic uh aligned powers that are kind of more more devil based maybe do more damage but higher risk higher reward kind of thing there are angel rooms that just kind of give you more kind of like protective buffs and things like that um uh but oh yeah there's there's also uh other items that you can use in this game like bombs and tarot cards and pills and more kind of usable items uh things that it's almost kind of like a hybrid of like bomberman in a way with the amount of uh like boulders and objects in, in throughout the room and in some cases some of the boss fights actually feel kind of bomberman-y as well yeah there's like there's four different uh, um i mean at least on the xbox controller that i'm using there's four different controller or like auxiliary sort of things that you can shoot uh, you know the, the the bomb, the special, the uh, like uh, tarot card or pill, and then oh, I'm forgetting the last one, but like essentially four different like things you can do to like use a one-time consumable um, throughout your gameplay. It's probably important to point out that pills. <laughs> your the the aesthetic here of you know you're walking, you're fumbling around through the basement finding mom's pills that you don't know what they do. And once you once you use it, then you've identified it for the rest of the run. But at the time, you're just like, well, I have one heart left. Do I use this weird mystery pill? And then it could kill you because it could say like, oh, health down or something, uh, or it could give you, you know, some uh, some sort of passive uh, buff going along the way, or it just makes a fart sound in some cases. So you have kind of a spectrum of good, medium, bad. Yeah, I didn't really get the. Uh... Until just now, I didn't realize like, oh, if you're finding mom's pills and that's why you don't know what they are because you're a child finding random pills and you just eat eat a pill. Who knows what it'll do? <laughs> but if it you find of... the same one twice, then you know what it does the second time. And so that's the benefit of like having used a pill. Um, but I have pills firmly in my dislike category just because, yeah, like you, going into the game, you have no idea what the distribution is of good to bad to neutral pills. And like, yep, you're inclined to like try things out, but like you have to do, you have to just consume so many pills before you kind of like take this Bayesian approach to like, hey, is a pill good or not to, to have? When should I have it? Like it takes so long to form a strategy around pill consumption that my you could easily my, like learn by like reading wiki. My problem with pills is that they did not have any way to re record what the pills did even if you could figure it out. So you're like, oh, there's some, there's a pill across these spikes. Should I go try and get it? And you're like, I can't remember which one that is. I don't nope. know if I've tried it or not. Like, I might be willing to sacrifice some life to go get a pill that I know is good, but I'm definitely not going to do it for a mystery. 
that might be bad and then i lost life to do something bad like that's not a that's uh, a bad experience yeah. yeah well i think it kind of ties back to that risk reward element also where like oh the here's a thing that could be beneficial but maybe not like is it worth that risk to try to go get that thing to make your run just that little bit better there are some um passive items i believe that actually do like pill identification for you not like showing them on the screen because that i mean th that's one thing that i think like is is kind of like a balance of like crypticness in this game of like you'll pick up an item and it will just say like you picked up guppy's head uh and sometimes it will tell you exactly what it does and other times it will say like the fluffiness abounds or something mysterious like that and you're just like can what <laughs> like can right you and then you go look at what it does on the wiki that's yeah. the thing. It's like if you look at the wiki, then you suddenly like have a a power that you shouldn't have that the game developers don't want you to have, but they use that because they forget what their own stupid items do in the game. Like I just think it's a terrible mechanic. How many items are there in this game? There's active and there's passive. You have to know which is active and which is passive, otherwise it'll replace things or you spend money on things that is like I don't know. There's two hundred. There in in the 2011 version there are somewhere around 200 items and these are the 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 things Including that you specifically pick up that um alter your character in such a way so there's yeah so like we've we've talked to kind of talked about like you know you beat a boss there's a little pedestal you pick up the item there's roughly 200 ish of those in this 2011 release so kind of a lot to kind of keep track of but like if I'm, I'm guessing like at the time, if you were like super into this game and you were just like playing it nonstop hours and hours and hours a day, you would build up that muscle memory of like, okay, yep, there's the fish head. I know exactly what that does. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to go for the laser eyes. I know that that works really well for this build. Uh, but yeah, it's one of those things where like, I can, I can understand not wanting to overload the player with text. We'll come to some of those games uh, in future episodes. Oh boy, will we ever. Uh, but in in this case, I think it kind of works because like to keep the game flowing and being like moving on, like, okay, I picked up this thing, the fluffiness abounds. Great, let's move on. And you know, let me experiment and see how this thing works. I just picked up a so just before joining this call, I was, you know, doing a refresher because you know, even though I have 60 hours, it's in the past, and like I picked up an item that made it so that my tier or I shoot really fast, but at very low damage. And as Azazel, as I'll discuss, is the most overpowered character in the game. But the point is that, like, that completely destroys all of that character's ability to do anything. And so me, I, uh, I had no idea picking this thing up completely destroyed the run. Yep. And that is a, a uniquely terrible experience. I understand that it's a roguelike. They want you to die, die again. But, like, that's just shitty. And, like, that makes me not want to play. The, I mean, even though I'm done with 60 hours, okay, yeah, you got me. Okay, I admit. <laughs> I had my I had the wiki open though hundred percent of the time. I had multiple tabs with like here are all the pill or you know, here are all the active passive items and I memorized it. When you memorize it all, the game's fun. Mm -hmm. When you don't have it memorized, mm, sucks. <laughs> yeah, I just let's, picked up everything. Let's, yeah, let's, you kind of do that. You pick up everything then, and then you mm -hmm. get the luck of the draw if if the thing you picked up was good or not. Let's move on briefly to, to talking about uh, Binding of Isaac Rebirth. Uh, so this was a 2014 re-release of the 2011 game. Um, 
you can tell immediately that this is a, a complete remaster and rebuild of the original. Uh, it doesn't really feel the same kind of uh, slugginess, sluggishness that you get from the from the Flash engine. And this one was released everywhere. This was part of a, a partnership that um, the game designer Ed McMillan did by reaching out to getting you know a, a, a more full-fledged dev studio involved. And you can find it literally anywhere. Linux, Windows, Mac, PS4, Vita, Nintendo 3DS have finally made it onto. Uh, it was released on Wii U, Xbox One, iOS, uh, recently released on the Switch, uh, PS5, Xbox Series X and S, and on Steam, of course. But holy shit, this game is everywhere. Uh, and with good reason, because uh, I think this is you know the, the far better playing game. Uh, this one, uh, numbers-wise, ranks in at uh, the second most uh, popular uh, game in, in the rogue genre at 209,000 reviews uh, on Steam compared to uh, the previous uh, entry only at 50,000. Uh, so it, it has, you know, made a bigger, much bigger splash since then. Um, Macmillan at the time partnered with uh, Nykalis, I think it's pronounced, uh, the game publisher who also put out uh, games VVVVVV and uh, Cave hmm. Story. Uh, the V game is really good. I, I recommend uh, that one. Cave Story is also pretty good. Uh, both both uh, very much relics of their time of the early indie scene, I would say. Um, and yeah, the, uh, in this case, they they both worked together to bring in additional features that they had planned for previously, but the Flash engine just wasn't doing them any favors and really holding them back. Uh, so they rebuilt the game from the ground up in C++. Um, it it's, is so much smoother, just is just a night and day difference, I feel like. Um, and uh, a lot of people cite this game, this 2014 re uh, remaster, as one of the best roguelike games of all time. Um, I think a a big a big plus in the favor column here is that it finally has controller support. I think there's a lot of hoops you have to jump through to get the original 2011 one to to work with gamepad stuff because otherwise you're I mean like the keyboard bindings are fine, but this game I think like really suits that controller based twin stick shooter uh um approach a lot better um the the art style here is also slightly different where in the 2011 one that's kind of a more um vectorized or rasterized graphics uh and here it's a little more pixel arty uh, i think there was actually a pretty big um pushback when this game was first released about how oh my god like the art style is so so pixely and you know, it's just kind of like catering to the lowest common denominator of every indie game has to have like pixel graphics. But um, I think the fact that, you know, Will and I have spent, you know, 60 plus hours in this version versus the old one kind of speaks to its um, its draw and its lasting legacy. Um, the, the music here is also slightly different. The 2011 one, I think, has a little bit of a mysterious tone. This one is maybe a little more action-y. Um, they're they're like slightly different, but I don't think you know one is better than the other in any kind of significant fashion. But the the main draw here is content. Oh boy, is there content? There is everything that we've kind of talked about is at least like doubled. Uh, we we talked about items, two hundred items in the previous one, almost I think around seven hundred items in the the re release in twenty fourteen. Characters went from nine to thirty. 
uh, room types. So things like um, like treasure rooms or sacrifice rooms or, or challenge rooms, things like that, went from 16 to 25. We went from 74 types of monsters in the, in the first one to 106. We went from 66 bosses to 141 bosses. Not that you have to beat them all, but I guess you, you probably wind up well after 60 plus hours of gameplay. Uh, chapters, uh, 12 in the original one to 32 in this one. Uh, and endings, 13 in the original to 21. I think at least 21. Uh, I'm sure there's a new one almost added every day these days. But uh, Are you in, counting, in the, is this the stats for including all the various DLCs? This is including all the DLCs as well. Yeah. So okay. yeah. How many um, were there? I added these DLCs. So yeah. I... So uh, DLCs. So this. So the remaster released in 2014. The first DLC, Afterbirth, uh, was released in 2015. Uh, to pretty good reviews. Uh, to you know, th this was something that I think a lot of people it was uh, waiting for, and also they really liked. Um, the next year, and and in that release, you know, they released like mod tools and things to really allow people to kind of generate their own kind of content. And the next year in 2016, uh, a bunch of uh, modders grouped together to release their own kind of fan expansion called Anti-Birth. Uh, love the naming convention here. And uh, in a lot of cases, like there's this fine line of, of game developers seeing the community build like user-generated content and really kind of like hammering it down saying like, no, you can't release this. Um, that's probably more true for the bigger studios, but um, Macmillan here, I think, reached out to the devs and wanted to work with them to help like bring that content in officially um which was super cool because you know he didn't have to uh, he could have just sent you know dmca or copyright notice say like quit doing that but i think that that played really well and also you know made it so he didn't have to stress as much about development work i think uh the the developer yeah, if you can you can get away with uh good D dlc or a good um, mod content instead of DLC, mm -hmm. that extends the life of your game immensely. Like, I don't really understand why so many devs are as dead set against mods as they are. I guess you can't sell DLC if your DLCs are worse than the mods, but... Uh, That's true. And there's there's weird stuff about licensing, too, where, like, if user-generated content starts to be get, uh, become popular enough, then it starts to become, like, this weird legal gray area of, like, well, like, can they solicit donations and stuff? But anyway, um, mm. so there were two more DLCs released, one in 2017, Afterbirth. Uh, there are, there's like an after, or uh, no, sorry, 2017 was Afterbirth Plus. Uh, and this one, I think, had more mixed reviews. Um, a, a, a common thread throughout the Binding of Isaac's development is that uh, because I think the Macmillan didn't really expect this game to uh, be a huge success. He didn't really do like a whole... He didn't hire a quality assurance team to like iron out a lot of bugs beforehand. Uh, so almost all of these releases and, and DLCs at first like launched super buggy. And I think he was kind of leaning on the community to do sort of like um, crowdsourced bug fixing for the games, which I can understand. And I can understand people's frustration with that when it first launches because you kind of expect a more sort of polished product. So I can kind of see it both ways. And I think Afterbirth Plus suffered from this as well, where like there's so much more content. There's like edge casing all of the software stuff is just an absolute nightmare. This uh, is the kind of stuff that, I mean, if it was being made today, the DLCs would go into like early access and then they'd get ironed out in that. And I mean, you would 
you're like, well, it's early access, so you can't complain that hard. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but I mean, that is true in some ways. Uh, you you get that's where you get the fan testing rather than when you're coming out with a game in 2015 or 2017. People kind of, I mean, I guess by 2017 not as much, but people expected the game to work uh, and not to have to wait three or four different update cycles for it to get all the major bugs out. Um, the final expansion for this game, uh, Repentance, uh, came out last year in 2021 and rolled in a lot of that content from the fan mod Anti-Birth into it. So this is where McMillan had kind of worked with that mod team to kind of like bring it into a more official product, I think with the intent of, you know, making sure that they get the recognition and, you know, possibly monetary uh, payment that they deserve. Uh and that one also, I think, kind of launched to, to mixed reviews. I don't remember if that had the same issue of launching buggy and maybe getting fixed over time. But, um, but the legacy for this for this game series, uh, or even just the twenty fourteen re release, uh, has seen you know five million plus total sales across all those platforms. So I think the legacy here has has endured. Uh, I don't know that there's really, really much more in the future for, for this game. There was a, a prequel, The Legend of Bumbo, uh, that was released relatively recently. Um, but I don't think that that's had as, as big of a impact or, or cultural splash as this game has. The Drowning of Jonas. Is that another... Uh, biblical no i'm just proposing the next iteration here because you just take some biblical theme and you give it this uh this kind of structure of the title isaac and... grows up changes his name yeah but like jonah's uh jonah's jo jonah who's in the whale i don't remember jonah jonah in the whale yeah jonah it's gotta be jonah, yeah, not jonas. jonas is like the jonas brothers yeah so it's been so long you know yeah, I mean, I'm basically yeah. Isaac in many in many ways, so I had that upbringing, but I can't remember the details here. I'm surprised that I remember Abraham, but <laughs> well, uh, I, I remember that that Simpsons episode where uh, Bart and Lisa get uh, get baptized by Flanders, and he's going through all of, like the crazy Bible stories. Like that, that's at least like two or three other uh, sequels right. or follow ups. That right, you could do like a, a 3D version of 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 isaac called the serpent of rehoboam or you know you, you got the well of zohasadar or the bridal feast of beth chetruzarazed what <laughs> i i do not remember these bible stories uh, i mean you could do what was the the nebuchadnezzar and throwing them in the flames i mean there's there's all there's a bunch of good weird hardcore shit in the old testament that you could uh you could have expanded this out into yeah. Uh, Zacchaeus on a tree. I mean, Zacchaeus fall. Zacchaeus fall from tree, or eh, no, that doesn't work so well. No, it's not quite. Not quite the same ring. Well, cool. Um, uh, let's let's move on to to <laughs> ranking these games. So, uh, so as part of being the the most uh, data based roguelike podcast out there, uh, our our end goal is to rank all of these games to to figure out how they all stack up against each other. And so far, the the number one game that we have on all of our lists is Dungeons of Dreadmore, um, because we've only done one other episode. But this second episode, we have a dearth. We've literally tripled, no, doubled, tripled the number of of uh, episodes that we have. One hundred fifty percent increase. Fifty percent. There you go. Uh, <laughs> that's why we <laughs> welcome to data. So uh, 
so we have uh, three games. We have Dreadmore, we got the 2011 release of, of Isaac, and we have the 2014 release of Isaac. Where, I guess, let, let's start with, uh, with Colin. Where, where would you rank these? Well, I didn't play the 2011 one, so um, I'm going to go ahead and say that this is uh, probably the best roguelike we've played so far on the podcast. So you're you're putting you know. it on on your your number one, I guess. Like maybe we'll, we'll also. Uh, uh, I'll go ahead. I'll go ahead and say, uh, you know, obviously we've only done two, so it's I, I preferred it to Dungeon Redmore, but I also think that um, if I were to guess where it might land in the long term, long run, I'm guessing it. Uh, would probably be in the upper quarter. I think it was, it's a well-made game. It's got a pretty good, consistent quality to it. Uh, the gameplay is, you know, it is, it's a fun game. There's a reason why it got bought so many times and why it is at the top of the, the list of roguelikes. Um, I think at least a little bit of it is aged. Uh, it is no longer 2011 or 2014, and I am no longer, you know, I, like as an adult, it is a little bit childish in some of the themes, and it probably would have resonated me more with me uh, as a early as a as a younger adult. But I think the gameplay is good, and I think there's a reason why it's it's still ranked highly on Steam. Will, how about you? You have uh, Dreadmore as number one. Where would 7. you put the... This is seven point five <laughs> out of ten. Uh, Dreadmore is a six out of ten. Well, uh, we need we need a discrete rankings here. Are you gonna put uh, Are you gonna put Isaac? Are you gonna put twenty fourteen above Dreadmore and twenty eleven below? I never. I didn't do twenty eleven, so I'm gonna go ahead and leave that one out. I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that the twenty fourteen version encapsulates all that is the twenty eleven version, but like better. And so that's that's a hit. A historical sort of like thing i just don't really care all that much about i think the the rebirth is or the um, yeah rebirth is uh pretty much what binding of isaac is supposed to be plus all the dlcs i never actually got to the dlcs but mm-hmm. the flash um, version is the early access yeah exactly that's that's the <laughs> alpha version or whatever um the the one thing I, I have a list here like i said of all my likes and dislikes and so of all the things if i had to just boil this down into the one innovative thing beyond the narrative, which I've already kind of talked about, that I think it does, which I think sets the pace for what will come, is item interaction. Mm, you can yeah. you can have one like ability, essentially, interact with another ability, such that they do wonky, unexpected, delightful things together. Synergy. And that, and that is something we see in later games. You, you know, most recently I'm thinking about vampire survivors doing like, oh, you get this one item and this other item. They work together to do this weird thing. Yeah. And so I mean, that that is a tremendous, I think, breakthrough in like the way roguelike games should play out is to the find first those wacky synergies. Yeah. The first game I won was the you built up enough rage and you went into like Super Mario Star mode. But I also had the thing where if you touched something, it got frozen and then exploded into coins so i ended the game with like an <laughs> infinite number of coins because i would just you know it's like oh get hit a couple times and then just go ape shit on everyone like that the interaction between those two made it way more powerful than either one on its own exactly 
And so that's why I think that this this is a real game changer um, in terms of its narrative uh, developments and it's in that particular aspect of the mechanic within the roguelike game that I don't think I'd, we had seen before, at least not to this, this extent. Mm-hmm. Yep, Scott, I think what about I'm you? Gonna... Where do you put it on your list? I'm I'm following the peer pressure of the crowd here. Uh, I'm putting uh, Rebirth at number one. Uh, I'm putting Dreadmort number two and uh, the the OG 2011 uh, Isaac at at number three. I can see like I can see the 2011 version of Isaac as kind of like a historical oddity, where like if you're a big fan of the rebirth one and you maybe want like and you're i don't know like i'm I'm conflicted because like the original one feels like a more pared down and streamlined experience without just like way too much crazy stuff going on but i feel like that's a principal draw of rebirth it's just that there's just so much stuff and so many like wacky crazy things happening and all those item synergies that it's it's just so much more of a complete package um, I felt a little, uh, a little miffed, uh, having to spend $5 for the, uh, original 2011 Binding of Isaac. Cause I was just like, you know what? I'm going to support, I'm going to support the dev, going to do it, doing it for the pod. But like, at the same time, I'm like, maybe I could have just played the, the online free flash one and gotten the same experience roughly. Um, Best I, I can say, give you dollar fifty. I mean, yeah. And it was kind of kind of annoying that like the uh original one didn't go on sale like at all ever which again like i can kind of understand like maybe you know there's an, an a pricing incentive there of like hey don't don't play this one i'm not going to put it on sale don't play this old one go play the new one uh and i think i would kind of follow that same that same logic um i will say that the original one does play like pretty well on the steam deck once you get all the the controllers uh the control bindings mapped out but like compared to the to the rebirth one like like night and day like i don't think there's any instance where i would want to go back to the original that rebirth doesn't do better and i think like maybe the only instances of that are like the art style potentially and maybe the music but i don't know that those are enough of a draw for me to want to to go to something that you know is is i think clearly a a bigger more optimized uh more fun and engaging experience uh with rebirth so rebirth new number one uh if you had to guess where would you you know extrapolating out do you think it's going to stay near the top of your list in the long term oh that's a good question i think rebirth is probably yeah maybe going to be in that upper quadrant like you said uh original i could see when I was first playing the original, I was like, oh my God, this is the new like worst roguelike I've ever played. It just like really, really chugs with that flash engine. Uh the the rebirth one, like I got there were there was a period where I got really sucked into it, like really bad to the point where like I had to play it every day. The wiki was open <laughs> up on uh on one half of my monitor, the game was going on the other. And anytime I came across an item, oh, I got to see what this does. This is good or bad for my build. I got to I gotta get to that next end and got to get to that next level unlock. This is me too. Yeah. And it's super addictive. And I think that's a, that's a plus in Rebirth's category. Uh, yeah, category. But like once the, uh, I, I had gotten into a almost kind of like a dice roll, um, like luck spree 
where I was just like rolling like 20 after 20 after 20. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm never going to repeat this again. And I was able to, to somehow, of course, with Azazel, the most broken character in the game, mm-hmm. right, uh, was able to somehow get like, I think like, like two or three endings or like major unlocks like simultaneously in one playthrough. And I wound up beating Mega Satan, the one of the final bosses of Rebirth, uh, all in one go. And I was just like, like, oh my God, like, I can't believe I did that. I'm never going to repeat that success ever again, or it's going to be very difficult to. And then I put it down and I, I walked away for a very long time until playing this for the podcast. So I think like it it belongs in that kind of like upper upper quartile, but I don't know that like the randomness really plays into its its favor on any kind of like given run. If your goal is to like beat like the super end boss, if your goal is to just like play a little bit and then like be like, okay, yeah, I died. There's some, uh, oh, we didn't even talk about some of the game modes, but like there's some modes in Rebirth that are just like, there's a, a mode called greed mode, which is just like one floor. It's just like one room and you do your combat encounters there. And it's got a shop attached to it. And then it just like, it's like a wave based kind of thing. Um, and there's uh, like daily challenges that you can do. I think those are probably like a, a better draw if you're just going to like bop in and play the game for like 20 minutes or so. I've been, I've been doing that in preparation for this episode and getting a lot of good fun out of it. So I think it depends on your goal upper upper quartile but i don't see it really uh breaking through the top 10 maybe let me i want to put this out there just in relation to everything you just said right there uh and with regards to like win rates overall like because we're going to play a lot these are all roguelites right there's gonna Mm -hmm. be a win rate that you expect the best roguelike i'm gonna just i haven't actually thought about this thoroughly yet i'm just throwing you that there but like if you have perfect play you win 80% 80% of the time. Perfect play as a human. And there's a lot of things that, you know, you could break that down into a lot of different things. But like, if you like, when I think about Slate Aspire, if you select all the right cards, can you win on Ascension 20, 80% of the time? If you make all the right decisions about when to play things, if, you, if you're playing any other, uh, you know, if you're playing Vampire Survivors, if you're playing Dicey Dungeons, any of these things, you make the perfect decisions. Should you win 80% of the time? I mean, I feel like, for something like Slate Aspire, there is a perfect decision path. But for something like this, I mean, you could probably win there every is. game if you're a perfect AI and you don't yeah. even need to get a single upgrade. You just like miss every right because this is a real time. This is not yeah. a, a turn based strategy. But like you can imagine, like you can uh, think about every encounter from a human perspective of like, what's my probability of winning if I take this approach or that approach? Colin, I think you just need to get good, and then right. you don't have that problem. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe I'm just not that good. Uh, so <laughs> I guess my question for you back is, can you have fun without having a high win rate? And like there are I'm gonna say I'm gonna say no. I'm gonna pretty strongly disagree. Uh, and my counterpoint is like I actually have not played that much of binding of Isaac, so I lost a fair amount because I'm just not good at it yet. Um, but I, something like caveat, I said perfect play. So you you start off being shit, but you know your <laughs> maximum level is 80%. Once you get to mastery, you shouldn't have no greater than 80%. But sure, I, don't, I don't know but if that's the most goal games you're not going to get to mastery. You know, if I'm going to play that game for 15 hours and not a thousand hours, 
Like, am I going to get joy out of those 15 hours? And so where to draw that line for like, what should your expected win rate be? Like, you know, it's, it's all in that, like that whole channel of like difficulty versus ability and trying to keep it, it right in that I mean, flow state. For this, for all games, really, it's about the sense of getting better. So if you start off with a 0% win rate, that's fine as long as you feel like you're getting right. like an ever-increasing win rate. Like you well, and, and or, or meta progression, even. Or meta progression, or yeah, exactly. It's it's sense of progression. You have to feel like you are getting further in your goals, be those get good or be they uh, like unlock new things via out of a single run mechanism. Um, like this had all, you could unlock new characters. You can unlock stuff in the store. Like you can, you could get no better, but still progress through unlocks in that way. Um, but yeah, you definitely need that sense of progression. And I don't think you need to win. Like there could be many games where you, yeah. I mean, look at dark souls. Like you're just fucking grinding for, most of the game dying most of the time like i don't know if you can qualify a win rate for something like that but how many deaths to how many times do you, you beat the game certainly uh, context is appropriate yeah. but the, i guess my point here is that i'm interested as we move forward with this podcast to see how this particular elements this game mechanic um or component or i don't know really what to describe it as but like i want to understand how this um the relevancy of it and how it changes by the game that we're playing yeah, and I think we'll see we'll see how that might change between things that are like turn based versus more turn kind based, of real time yeah. versus yeah like everything kind of in between. Uh, we got a we got a a good lineup coming down the pipe here, uh, and I think yeah. What do as, we have? What do we have next? Next time? yeah. Uh, next next episode we're covering uh, another uh, bundle of games because in some cases. Some of these games you can kind of tell like what they are uh, after maybe only a few minutes. Um, so yeah. it kind of makes sense to bundle these together. And next episode, we're talking about uh, three games, uh, Hack Slash Loot. We're talking about A Valley Without Wind. And we're also talking about Pineapple Smash Crew. Well, there you go. <laughs> I've, I've had a sneak preview because of, because I did Binding of Isaac. I already know Hack Slash and Loot was the one that I... So, whew. Yeah, I'm excited to see what the other two. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, as as kind of a maybe spoiler <laughs> for next episode, I also kind of got sucked into Pineapple Smash Crew. Okay, more so than I next. thought I would, but uh, but yeah. So keep an eye out of that for for next episode. In the meantime, you can uh, find us on the interwebs at uh, the website grogpod.zone. Uh, if you are if you're still using Twitter before Elon Musk has crashed it, you can find us there at grogpod. Uh, and if you have uh, if you have correspondence that you would like us to read on the air, you can uh, you can send that to grogpodzone at gmail.com. Uh, and we will uh, if it passes our sniff test, we'll read it on the air here for all of our tens of listeners to enjoy. So uh, so stay tuned for next episode where we're covering uh, some games you probably have never heard of. And we'll see you then. All right. See you later.